This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 9, Episode 2. Is Writing Excuses Hard Science Fiction with Eric James Stone. 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And the part of Dan this week will be played by an Australian dragon with laryngitis. I love it. And once again, we invite Eric James Stone onto our completely serious and Hugo Award winning podcast. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, so, hard science fiction. Um, uh, Eric, you and Howard both write hard science fiction. I'm scared by hard science fiction. So, I'm going to pass a lot of this to you. But first, let's define it. What do we mean by hard science fiction? Well, according to Wikipedia, hard science fiction is a category of science fiction characterized by an emphasis on scientific or technical detail, or on scientific accuracy, or on both. Ooh, that sounded Hugo Award-winning right there. You know what? I have, I, I have a slightly different definition. Okay. Okay. Uh, hard science fiction is uh, science fiction in which um, a portion of the, of the reveal, you know, a portion of what needs to happen is going to be based on science that the reader may be expected to have brought with them. Yeah. Oh, wow. Boy, yeah, that's nowhere near my... Yeah, Yeah. Um, see, I, I kind of use Asimov's definition, which is um, hard science fiction is the science fiction in which if you remove the science, you no longer have a story. Uh, see, but I don't, I don't go there because, mm -hmm. um, because I, I think that is true of any science fiction. For right, me. you can remove bad science from the story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's the, the definition that Analog mm -hmm. Magazine uses for science fiction. And they say they're looking for science fiction. They don't say they're looking for hard science fiction. Right. They say they're looking for science fiction, but mm -hmm. basically they say it's where if you remove the science, then the s story wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. But they are also looking for the science to be correct or at least plausible. Right. And Analog is the big... Um, they have a reputation of publishing science fiction with accurate science in it. Um, they would be the hard science fiction magazine, but as you say, it's not necessarily, that's not all they do, but if there's, the science has got to be good for, for, for them. Generally, yes. Yeah. Now, some people will also say that science fiction is based on the so-called hard sciences as opposed yeah. to the soft sciences. Uh, and, and by that, they mean uh, science fiction that is uh, chemically, electrically, physics that that one of those mechanical sciences yeah plays as a opposed to role. the you know uh, psychology social the, sciences right um well now the thing is i think you can write hard science fiction about what we consider today to be soft sciences right we did a podcast I, on yes. that yeah, yeah and we i agree did. with you completely but yeah. but just be aware that when you are talking about it this is one of those definitions folks that not everybody agrees on. As oh, we've probably tell. hacked half of you off at this point. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. I expect to see a lot of comments going, oh, no, hard science fiction is really this. All right. This hard science fiction is so delicious. Maybe we can define it, because this is a podcast for writers, not, you know, we're, we're not in the business of defining things, it, only in so much as it helps us become better writers to connect with our audience. So let's talk about something, you know, hard science fiction, what's the appeal? Why are people reading this as opposed to another subgenre. Let me give you. Of let me give fiction. you an example of one of my favorite, uh, favorite hard science fiction stories. Mm -hmm. Short story by Larry Niven, called 
um, neutron star, mm-hmm. in which uh, he posits an indestructible hull material, mm-hmm. um, which in terms of hard science fiction, you know, it doesn't work very well. I mean, he throws mm-hmm. out a fun explanation for it. Um, and we have a traveler who is going to go look at a neutron star. Um, and the reason he's going is because the last crew who took this indestructible hull ended up pasted into the ends of the ship. And the people who made the ship are trying to figure out what it was that reached through the impervious hull and killed the inhabitants of the ship. Mm-hmm. And as it happens, um, on a close pass of a neutron star, uh, the ship will experience tidal forces where the center of gravity of the ship is going to move, you know, well, the whole ship's going to move, you know, mm-hmm. around the star. In the center of gravity of the ship, you'll experience weightlessness, but at either of the ends, the gravity will be so great, the tidal forces will be so great that you'd be crushed. And that's the discovery that, you know, our hero makes. Right. And so during the course of this uh, story, the story really is about what the tides would be like around mm-hmm. a neutron star. And then there is a reveal at the end of the story where the, uh, the traveler uh, says to the folks who made the ship, I've figured out something about your planet. What have you figured? Because their planet was a mystery. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew where it was. I've figured out that you don't have any moons. Because if you had moons, you'd know all about tides. Mm. Which was a fun little reveal. And as I read it, I remember thinking, oh, yeah, because I know that our moon creates tides. And that's, that's why I brought up the definition that I did. Mm. I had to have that basic understanding of tides. Okay. And the way tides were then treated in the book had to be spot on so that the, so that the story would work. Okay. Um, but it was, it was hard science fiction that had a magic material in it. Why do you yeah. read hard science fiction, Eric? I read hard science fiction uh, because I like reading science fact okay. and extrapolating from it. And I like reading what other people have extrapolated from our current scientific knowledge. And uh, you know, so in that sense, it feels more real to me than you know, something where they've just made up uh, you know, science that, or even science that I know <laughs> that contradicts what I know, um, th- that, uh, you know. Who would do yeah, that? But, see, it, but the, the stuff that you know, you brought that into the story with you, right. and you want the story to adhere to that. When Brandon, or maybe some other author, creates an intricate magic system that violates uh, what you think you know about metals, Brandon does a pretty good job of explaining what those metals yeah. are so that you can reset your expectations. Right. Right. Yeah. But I write a, ty- a blend of fantasy which yeah. um, has kind of like one toe in science fiction. Um, and there, there's plenty of fantasy that doesn't, and that's right. just fine. We're talking yeah. about the, the science fiction, though, the hard science fiction. And you, you enjoy science fact. And so something that's steeped in the science fact and is not violating your knowledge of science fact is interesting to you it's fun to you when you say oh i bet it would do this and then it does in the story because you bring your knowledge to it i think right. it's it's also a way to explore you know it, it's a way to explore our own possible futures mm-hmm. and and to kind of model and map right. where we want to go i remember reading um, a, a fact article you know a piece of journalism where they were talking about how people were now starting to think about ethics for robotics and that no right. one had really, this was a brand new area that no one had thought <laughs> right. about before. I'm like, 
have you read no science fiction ever? Because right. we have already done this. Well, and famously, the what word is robot Clark? <laughs> originated with yeah. that research or that um, that thought experiment. Yeah. Who posited geosynchronous orbit? Mm -hmm. yeah. And then it happened, and so that's fun. I uh, recently so. read uh, Arctic Rising by Tobias Bakel, mm -hmm. which so has. Good. Yeah, I love that story, which is, you know, takes the sciences of uh, the sciences of climate change and takes a lot of cultural and economic uh, research into account. The story opens with an airship uh, patrolling the Arctic. And I remember blogging about it and saying that I loved it. And somebody said, oh, crap, it's got airships in it. That's just fake because airships are dumb. Um, and then just recently, like two days ago, CNN ran an article about a company partnering with Iceland to build airships to make runs through the Arctic to, uh, to change cargo routes. And I remember looking at that and thinking, ha, Tobias <laughs> Bakel was right, and airships make sense. Yeah. Let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week. Um, and our uh, book of the week this week is going to be done by Howard. Yes. Um, oh boy, two summers ago, I was at uh, Deep South Con, and Gregory Benford was talking about this book that he was writing with Larry Niven called Bowl of Heaven, and he started drawing on the whiteboard uh, this space construct that he was all excited about. And I remember looking, that, looking at that and thinking, wow, this, this really is how the hard science fiction author pitches his material to the hard science fiction audience. I want the book, and it wasn't out yet. Um, and then at uh, Conjecture, I bought a copy and got it uh, signed by Larry Niven. And it's a wonderful, wonderful story about space travelers, uh, you know, human colonists, who run across an artifact that is huge and traveling through space and is essentially a star with a bowl built around part of it, and the bowl is is shining mirrors on the star to create a jet of plasma that allows the the allows the thing to travel so it's a spaceship you know built out of a star it's a spaceship built out of a star that's awesome um, it's yeah it's wonderful it's a it's a great it's a great story and you can you can find it on audible uh, audiblepodcast.com slash excuse will allow you to start a 30-day free trial membership and you can pick up uh, Bowl of Heaven for free. And there's a sequel coming out, I think, in April called uh, Ship Star, uh, also by Niven and Benford. Awesome. Now, one of the things about hard science fiction, and we're getting at a little bit of this um, in the podcast, pe people say, well, do you, they ask, do you have to be an astrophysicist to write hard science fiction? Well, uh, a few years ago, I was having lunch with the editor of Analog, and a few other authors, and uh, he asked me, now Eric, you've got a, a degree in uh, engineering or some sort of science? <laughs> and I said, well, yes, uh, my, my degree is in science, political science. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, at that point I'd sold him several stories and he had gotten the impression that I must have a technical degree of some sort. Now I do work in a technical field with computer programming, um, but my scientific knowledge comes mainly from just reading uh, hard science fiction and from reading science fact articles. I love New Scientist magazine. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely great. And it's written at kind of a 
an easy enough level that most people can understand right. an it. educated but not specialist level. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Scientific know, American, I think, yeah. tends to, to be written a little, a little more advanced level. My uh, favorite hard science fiction stories are the ones that challenge me as a reader, but also can explain it in a way that I, as someone who doesn't read a lot of it, still gets it yeah. and enjoys right. it. Like um, uh, one that, uh, that I enjoyed was Red Mars by Kim Slamley Robinson. And he's often mm -hmm. um, hailed as one of the great you know, science slash hard science um, fiction writers right now, scientists slash hard science fiction writers, and um, it's about what happened. The realistic trying to realistically trying to terraform Mars, what what they knew in the late '90s and saying, could we do this? Um, and I understood the, all of the science in that, but it was very complicated. It just built piece by piece upon itself. So by the end, I understood exactly what they were doing and why. Um, and and he was able to explain that really well for me. Yeah, one of my uh, one of favorite uh, hard science fiction novels that I've read recently. Um, is A Deepness in the Sky by mm -hmm. Werner Vinge, um, where he goes into great detail about the aliens mm -hmm. um, and their life cycle uh, around a variable star that, you know, they have winters that last 80 years or something mm -hmm. like that, and so they go into hibernation and then come out. And He goes into details about that, but it's all explained in such a way that you can understand what's going on, but it's He's done the, a good job of figuring out how life would have to be to survive on a planet surrounding, going around such a star. Now, go ahead, Mary. Oh, I was going to say that one of my uh, one of my favorite authors um, for hard for hard SF is Nancy Cress. Um, like her dogs, which is a wonderful book, is uh, is basically you know what happens if a pathogen gets out. That's that's the you know and and mm -hmm. it's. And, and how does the population react to that? And, and as we're talking, what I'm, one of the things that I'm hearing uh, uh, in, in all of the different examples we're talking about is that in a lot of way, ways, what we're talking about is a, a thought experiment mm -hmm. where that's, that's a science-based what-if. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And my favorite hard science fiction stories will be that sort of a thought experiment with really, really good characters woven through it. Yeah. Um, because that's... Fundamentally, I th I think that's how we engage with mm -hmm. uh, yeah, with narrative. a story. Right. So that's what I liked about uh, Fire Upon the Deep and the Deepness on the Sky. That mm. I, I enjoy the characters in those yes. books. Yeah. Um, and the for me the nice thing those books forget on a tangent, but they mix hard science with a lot of kind of almost fantastical science, like you mentioned before. Right. Mm -hmm. um, w one of the things I was talking about with Stan Schmidt, the editor of Analog, a, a couple of years ago, was. Um, the idea of mundane science fiction, which is kind of a uh, a movement, and robots, or... that mundane science fiction basically says we're not going to get AIs that are right. hyper intelligent. Oh, okay. We're not going to get faster than light travel. Pretty much, human history is going to be limited to maybe colonizing the planets in in our own solar system, but it's not going to be you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, a flashy future. We're going to focus more inward, and as lim resources get more limited and stuff like that. And uh, and Stan Schmidt said that uh, to think that we have pretty much reached the limits, or you know, or can see the limits of what we can discover, is 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 that's pure fantasy. 
Yeah. Um, and that, <laughs> that when you're projecting out technologies into the future, you can kind of linearly project about a third of things to continue getting better and faster and smaller. Um, and then you can say about a third of things will be new combinations of stuff that we didn't have before. But, you know, like a cell phone now, it's, it's a computer as well and, and things like that. And then there will be a, another kind of third of, of things that we are, didn't even see coming. Right. And, and that's where you as a, an author can come up with some pretty cool things uh, in, in order to give it that wow factor. Excellent. Um, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, I think this has been a very useful podcast. Um, like many of our survey podcasts, this is to give you an understanding of the genre and why people read it. Um, it is still, despite what people say, people like to say hard science fiction is dead. It has never died. Oh, good uh, it remains now. a strong um, and, and solid genre, and it is beloved by many of the editors in the business. Um, it sometimes doesn't get the flashy attention of space opera and fantasy, um, but when it's done well, it is, uh, tends to be some of the most immortal stories and some of the, uh, the, the most perennial sellers, the best perennial sellers, tend to be these books that will, that will get these things right. So I recommend that you look into it if you have any interest in the sciences. Um, Eric, would you be willing to give us a writing prompt? Uh, yes. Um, think of a, uh, a way to combine two technologies that currently are not combined and write a story that involves the combination of those two technologies. Awesome. That's a very good writing prompt. iPhone and Android. <laughs> <laughs> Adats and Dan Wells. This has been writing... <laughs> excuses. <laughs> You're out of excuses, really. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.